Lights Tunnel Stale, shout to Big Cat Cypher Sounds, M.O.P. Andy up in the fucking background, for the real niggas, you know what I mean? Shout to Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, Staten Island, Uptown Harlem, or the BX, all my real niggas with the 20 inches outside, you know what I mean? Fake niggas, get the fuck out, now hold on to your shit, you know what I mean? Fun flex, one time for your motherfucking mind, one. Any up, what, what, people? Welcome to another episode of Echoes from the Void. Yep, we're back. Ah, oh, man. And so, ah, today is the start of the BFI 63rd London Film Festival, and it's been all go. Yep, just been out. Seeing films, running around London, doing my thing, losing my bank card. Ah, just it's been a fun day, but god damn it, man. Shit could have been better, you know what I mean? Could have been better, but um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's been um, interesting times of late, you know, done some good shit like. Had one of the best weekends of the year. One of the best weekends of the year. But <laughs> it was definitely a little bit of sweet. A little bit of sweet, man. So um went wine tasting. So went wine tasting um with the young lady I've been seeing for the last three months. Um, yeah, and we had a great time. We did the wine tasting, then went to um, a little Michelin star restaurant afterwards. That's on site, and the food was incre- the food was incredible. Cherry, it was so damn good. So the next day, we were um, yeah, we just kicked it. The next day, went cinema. Um, that was fun. And then the next day, (laughs) like, so what would have been crazy, but it was still cool. Like, trains were all messed up. So, um, you know, we, we, like, got a zip car back. And, um, yeah, had some more, like, just continued. Cooked dinner, had a fun weekend. The, the, The downside of the whole thing was, um... Yeah, so, like, what, I think the, the, the thing was getting, it, like, when we first started, it was like, you know what I mean, we were just kind of taking it easy, seeing where everything went. It was just like, there was, there was always the understanding that, like, um, you know, she's going on sabbatical, so she was going to go, she's going traveling. Now, I think I thought it was three months. So there was a miscommunication. Shorty's going for six months. Leaving the country for six months soon. So it's a bit like... It's tough, man. It's tough. You know what I mean? So, you know what I mean? What we kind of decided that... Yeah, when when she goes, she's, she's gone. Yeah, and she's gone. So, 
we're just gonna um yeah we're just gonna live life live life and see what happens you know what I mean? so when she comes back well like because we're not gonna be out of it we're not gonna just stop talking and shit but it's a bit like you know like it's only been three months you know what I mean? so it's just a bit like ah uh, you know what we like to hold each other down that's kind of you know what i mean that's kind of tough so you know what i mean let's just um yeah i mean let's just do you so we'll just see what happens if if something happens either end things happen either end because you never know right you never know but yeah when she's back we'll go we'll meet up we'll talk and see what happens then so you know they're like no animosity we're still cool we're still kicking it until she leaves but it's just like ah you know what i mean yeah it's it's a tough one it's a tough one this is definitely feelings but we'll just see what happens right we will see what happens and that's all you can do because you know what I mean even if she's in the country even if she wasn't going away like so there's nothing to say that this was gonna work forever right so it's all about just seeing what happens so yeah it's kind of like if it's meant to be six months ain't gonna be shit right so yeah, we'll just touch base and um take it from there. Come 2020. Huh. But um all right, let's get into some some news and then the rest of this episode. Alright? So let's get with it. Okay, here's um ah, so this story is a bit weird, right? So in March, uh say Omar Om Obaya was sacked by the Curve Theatre in Leicester, um, where she was meant to um, have the starring role in The Colour Purple. Now, she was sacked because a 2014 Facebook post came to light where she... um, yeah, I mean, uh, so she basically, you know, said in this post, um, let me say, um, I do not believe homosexuality, ugh, homosexuality is right, though the law of the land has made it legal, you know, um, yeah, and um, also, um, I do not believe you can be born gay. So she wrote this on Facebook. And, um, yeah, then um, she got the role of Cecile in Colour Purple. Uh, Someone found the post, recirculated it, and everything blew up. So she lost her job, right? Now, I am... Look... I believe if something was said many years ago, 
right? You you don't lose your job on that. Just because you you can be a completely different person now. You know, and we've seen so many people that have done certain things in the past, they're working now, right? So I you know, I feel that you you should be I think you should be judged on the person you are today. So the way you've acted. If you know, then they found that she's doing all these other things. You know, like a lot of hate speech against different people and you know, she's doing like a lot of nasty shit, then fine. But right, if if today, everyone's like, oh, no, she's real good. She's nice. Like, I wouldn't have thought that she's bigoted, you know, all of this. Then just let let it be. It, it was years ago, okay? So, you know, I'm, 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 I find it problematic when this thing, this happened. You know, it's like the same thing with Shane Gillis. He got fired from SNL. You know, like a lot of people, where this kind of thing happens. Like James Gunn, he lost his um, directing gig with Guardians of the Galaxy Three. He's now been rehired, which I feel is a big step forward. But um, yeah, I, I like. I don't think, yeah, she should have lost her job. But so now, she is um. She's suing. So she's going to she's suing the theatre and she's suing her former agent who dropped her after the incident. Um now the the, the but the problem with all of this is right so she's say she's not just saying oh yeah you know that was twenty fourteen like I've got different views now, or I'm just a different person now, so, like, she's saying that, you know, I always post stuff about God or scripture, so she's claiming that, oh, there's stuff in the Bible that says, you know, homosexuality is evil, so she is just, you know, she's just repeating what it says in the Bible, and, um, like, she also said, like, the theatre knew that I was Christian, and they knew my stance on marriage, on my faith, on God, on many different things that are in the Bible. It's just like, just because you're Christian doesn't mean you hate homosexuality. That is a ludicrous thing to say. Like, it's a ludicrous thing to stay. Like, there's, there's, look, there's many religious people who are also gay. Like, that's not a thing. It's like, oh, if you're gay, you can't be religious. It's just ridiculous. And I think that's where all of this becomes problematic. Because... She's kind of coming off as a frigging crazy person. You know? And she's just like, I oh, I was quite taken aback. 
I was like, whoa, people really think I hate them? And it's just like, you, you posted that you don't believe homosexuality is right. So, why wouldn't people think that you hate them? Is it, it's just like this weird delusion that, alright, I, you know what I mean, I can say, um, I don't, I don't like gay people, and that's why, and, and, and I'm thinking that organisations aren't going to find that problematic, you know, I mean, that's the thing, it's just this weird conceit that, oh, yeah, all these people would find it fine. No, because the organization's going to think, right? If she's in the in the piece, there's possibly going to be a boycott. There's possibly going to be a lot of people that aren't going to come see the show because this crazy woman is speaking her crazy talk. It, it, it's just, yeah, I think that's the thing that I have issues with with this, you know, because the whole, I'm going to use the Bible as my shield, it's just kind of ludicrous, you know what I mean, it, 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 it's a little bit ridiculous, right, if she was just like, listen, I realise people would take offence by that, I wrote in 2014, I, I, I look at my feeds, I've not written anything along those lines since, because I understand it's problematic, I wouldn't do it, like if she said that, yeah, like some sort of understanding, you'd be like, alright, cool, but you know, she's gone straight in on this, and the Christian Legal Centre is, um, yeah, helping her in her case around this. So, ah, man, I'm like, you know what? I don't think she will win because I think it's it's in an organisation's you know, an organisation can do what they, they feel is right for them. If they feel you brought their organisation into disrepute, it's mis it's gross misconduct. You know, and a lot of, like, places are writing social media, you know, conduct into the employment policies and everything like that. So, but I do feel that if she had acted in a certain way she she you know she could have possibly got the role back you know if she had jumped on it boom but if you want to if you want to come out and be like oh i'm christian i don't believe in this then firstly it's like it's odd that she's take she would take that role because the character, you know, the character has a relationship with another woman. 
right? So if your your views, if you're like, oh, I don't believe in gay marriage, you know, I don't believe in homosexuality, I don't believe in, then why would you pl- want to play that role? So I think she's a, like, she's forgotten about that. So, <laughs> you know, if, like if any judge would just use that as a way of going, yeah, no, <laughs> go away. <sighs> well, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of foolish, I feel. You know what I mean? Just kind of foolish. But, hey, <sighs> you know, <laughs> we live in a weird world. So, here's a weird one. Um, Seinfeld, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, not the show. Um, so, he's just won a lawsuit. So, a, a claim was brought against him by an ex-working uh, partner, a Christian Childs, who had claimed he came up with a concept for comedians in cars getting coffee. Which really, look, it's not a groundbreaking concept. It's a concept that a lot of people probably have come up with. You know what I mean? Let, let's be fair. It, it, it's not rocket science, right? Um, but the weird thing is, so Charles had claimed that he'd pitched the idea in 2002, right? In 2002, he, he reckons that he pitched this show. Although, so he his project was supposedly called Two Stupid Guys in a Stupid Car Driving to a Stupid Town. That, I mean, I, I, I don't... I don't know who's picking that pitch up, <laughs> that, or if they're picking that up, they're definitely changing that title, because that's a, that's a ridiculous title, definitely way too wordy, <laughs> so he reckons he pitched the idea in 2002, okay, now, this is the weird thing about this, right, so, he, um, when, um, when Seinfeld made, started making the show, okay, so he started making the show, and Charles filmed, like, he directed the pilot, he directed the pilot episode in October 2011, in October 2011, right, which is, so you make the pilot then, so you'd think even before you've, you, bef- even before you've directed a pilot, so you've been in meetings talking about the whole script and stuff, so you think then he'd be like, um, yo, Jerry, that's my, yo, Jerry, that's my idea, I ain't directing this shit, like, how am I getting credited for this, alright, give me, give me a contract, I'll sign it, then I'll direct, yeah, we'll do that, that's what you'd think would happen, but no, no, it didn't, so, he made a, um, a copyright claim in 2012, but, 
Seinfeld rejected it. So he made that. So it's a bit like, how then are you waiting six years to um to file a lawsuit? Doesn't make any sense. Because if you were so like this is my idea, if you were so on that tip, you're you're not directing the pilot and if Seinfeld then rejects your copyright claim, you're going to press it. You're not going to sit around and wait. Which is, like, strange. But, um, so the court has said that Charles had taken too long to sue. Because the statute of limitations is three years. And, yeah, like... Because if you're waiting six years, it seems it's a money grab, right? It seems that you had no faith in the idea, so you're just thinking, fuck it. But then you see it's, Shireen, it's around for so damn long, making change. Then you're like, actually, I want some money. Like, it's either your idea or it's, it's not. If it's your idea, you're pressing your claim. You're not sitting around. That is ridiculous. Who is going to sit around and let their, their, I suppose, their idea, their concept, their brainchild be made season after season? You know, like, look, you think Chris Rock's been on it, Obama's been on it, um, Gervais, Tina Fey, Kevin Hart, Ellen DeGeneres. All these people have been on that show. Show's popular. So you're thinking, I... Yeah, I'm just going to let it... No, no. So, yeah, you have to think, ain't, it probably ain't Charles's idea. Charles may have had a, a, a similar, you know, concept. But I bet a lot of people have similar concepts. Because as I said, it's not anything, it's not a special idea. It's not a crazy idea. So it's it's pretty simple, meaning multiple people could have thought of it. But it's just a matter of who brings it, who brings it to TV first, who copyrights it first. That's all that matters when this, when something like this happens, you know. But yeah, <sighs> another good day for Seinfeld, <laughs> especially after that those residual checks he's going to be getting from um that Netflix syndication with the um the original TV show. You know what I mean this is on comedians getting coffees on Netflix. The, the Seinfeld sitcoms now on Netflix, <sighs> man. That dude is making change. Alright. On to the next one. Okay. So in some real big news. Um, yeah. And news that I I predicted. Listen. I'm going to say it. I predicted the goddamn news. Right. 
Sony and Disney. Yo, they did it, people. They re-upped. Spider-Man 3 is a go. What? See, look, they fell out, but that's all negotiation. It's all, like, this, that's the thing. It's all negotiation. And you you kind of figured, because the money that was involved, Spider-Man Homecoming made cheddar. Spider-Man Far From Home. I think that hit a bill, right? So, those films made considerably more than previous Spider-Man films. Sony realises... Sony realises that. And Marvel and Disney know... Spider-Man was... Like... You know I mean? Their audiences... Loved the fact that Spider-Man was in the MCU. So, it made... You, you knew that just because... The other month, word came... Oh, that is, it's done. It's done. You knew it wasn't done. <laughs> I mean, like, any sane person knew... It ain't done. That's just a phase, right? So... With the new situation, Spider-Man 3 will be dropping the 16th of July, 2021. Always love the fact that I get a Spider-Man film very close to the birthday. So, what, what? All good, baby. And also part of the deal, right? So, Spider-Man will appear in another MCU film. Um... And other news is that um, the there's going to um, be a connection with MCU films and Sony's Spider Verse films. So that when I when I say connection, m- probably not characters appearing, but we'll have things like I guess. You'll see the tri 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 the Avengers headquarters. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, if there was significant damage to a building in an MCU film, that will be reflected in a Spider Verse film. If it is meant to be set after those events, um, and vice versa, you know. So there will be that. They'll also reference. Things that may have happened. Like within um, stuff like Runaways and Cloak and Dagger. Where, you know, it would be like, oh, the big incident in New York. And so they'll reference things like that. So there'll be a verbal and visual reference agreement between MCU films and Spider-Verse films. Such as Venom 2, Morbius... Black Cat, all of that shenanigans. So, I mean, it's pretty tight. And also, um, this deal, like, it just sounds fairer. So, Disney and Marvel will be putting up 25% of the budget. And they will be getting 25% of the profit. Which makes sense. Look, if you're putting in that money... 
you should kind of get that percentage back. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, so the film is coming out just like the week before Mission Impossible 7. That's not an issue though, because Spider-Man, baby. Spider-Man beats Mission Impossible hands down. But it does mean that there's a, yo, there's, you know what I mean? A four, a four attack of Marvel films that year. So we're going to be having Shang-Chi, 12th of February. There's going to be the Doctor Strange sequel on the 7th of May. And on the 7th of November, it's for Love and Thunder. So yeah, 2021 is definitely a good look for um for marvel and um you know everyone is um everyone's happy about the situation you know what i mean like no one is no one's upset like um robert lawson from sony pictures said um that they are delighted to be moving forward together, you know. Um, and Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce it, but he said, I am thrilled that Spidey's journey in the MCU will continue, and I and all of us at Marvel Studios are very excited that we get to keep working on it. Spider-Man is a powerful icon and hero whose story crosses all ages and audiences around the globe. He also happens to be the only hero with the superpower to cross cinematic universes. So as Sony continues to develop their own Spider-Verse, you never know what surprises the future might hold. So yeah, this is, this is great. You know what I mean? That that legendary, unprecedented partnership that started in 2015 between Marvel and Sony, it continues. And I suspect this new Spidey film, you know what I mean? If it continues the quality that we have seen, it's going to be another big money spinner. So, hey... People, mark that date in your calendar, the 16th of July, 2021, because it's kind of spidey, it's kind of spidey tingly, right? Boom, nice. So today, um, I went to visit the uh, ICA, the Institute of um contemporary art and um yeah i l- took a look at their new exhibition uh which is uh, the honeysuckle company um it's omnibus so um there's a press release so i'm gonna read that out first The Institute of Contemporary Arts presents Omnibus, the first ever survey of the work of the Berlin Collective Honeysuckle Company, 
which brings together key moments of the group's 25-year history. Founded in 1994, Honeysuckle Company identified themselves as a movement built around an ongoing series of fluctuating and epiphoral interventions in fashion, music and art. The collective emerged from the post-reunification and pre-internet culture and social contexts of Berlin, defined by epochal underground techno and squatting scenes. The group's name is derived from homeopath Dr. Edward Buck's Honeysuckle Flower Remedy. According to Buck, the honeysuckle plant's homeopathic properties helps one to learn from past experiences and re-establish a sense of truth of trust in the future in order to feel grounded in the present. Honeysuckle Company draw their core ethos from this hypothesis, which they project onto their livid experience of a city in a state of flux between temporalities, political ideologies and cultural movements. Honeysuckle Company's work often originates out of shared living and working spaces, existing as an ongoing aspect of the group's lives and experiences, while also appearing within more formal institutional settings sustained by communal methods of production their work encompasses clothing performances happenings installations photographies music films and publications omnibus presents key aspects of honeysuckle company's work revealing the group's past present and future through an amalgamation of existing works within new installations. The exhibition begins in the ICA's lower gallery with a new multi-century installation that exists between theoretical set and post-apocalyptic archaeological dig. The exhibition concludes in the upper gallery with the the work Materia Prima, from 2007 and edgeless white room inset into the ICA's existing architecture which presents a complete void of visual information. Alongside the new installation in the lower gallery is Nibond 2000 which comprises Mannequins adorned with sculptural uh, geometric outfits inspired by Casimir Malvik's silhouettes mixed with prosthetic bumps and ill-fitting appendages. Utilised in recent improvised compositions and performances, the figures also function as autonomous musicians with self-playing 
instruments generating rhythmic pulses of sound. New Bond 2000 is one example of how Honeysuckle Company create substitutes for themselves through segregates, which also includes the adoption of somnums such as Simgil, Ninja Pleasure and PC Kissar. New Bond 2000 indicates Honeysuckle Company's aesthetic turn towards Russian productism and um, Bauhaus as a set of stylistic and collectix codes. The annex room of the lower gallery presents a time capsule of Honeysuckle Company's activities in the mid-1990s, encompassing photographic and video documentation of their work from this period between 1994 to 1995. The group produced several collections of clothing which they presented through performances, installations and films in self-run spaces such as Galleria Bellerin Tokyo worn by highly styled members and collaborators of the group. Honeysuckle Company's wearable assemblages were made using cling film, duct tape, photocopied pages from books, plastic toys, deconstructed stuffed animals and computer parts. In the group's second clothing collection, Tape Your Own Identity, worn Assemblages can be seen as rotating galleries of favourite images and clippings from newspapers and magazines. Although created during a pre-digital period, Honeysuckle Company's clothing collections reveal how the collective's work foreshadowed many prominent aspects of social media including projected identities and desires. Alongside the clothing collections, members of Honeysuckle Company produced music and performed in bands, such as Synthetic with with, um, Captain SpaceX and Battery on Off, as recorded in the photography on display. Also exhibited are videos and animations made during the same period using Super 8 film, Hi8 video formats and Nintendo Game Boy graphic programs suggesting various influences including Japanese noise music, punk, new wave, glam rock and techno. Um... This is a really, it's a fascinating exhibition. Uh, as mentioned, you walk in and there's kind of like sand and rubble on the floor with um, like work kind of coming out of that. And then at the other end, there are some of these mannequins like just 
in the um, odd clothing with the appendages and everything like that. So it really is kind of a, a Mad Max kind of apocalyptic vision that you kind of walk into. And then on the wall, there are um, like photographs kind of displaying different outfits and, and different kind of um, scenes in which the company have been in over the years. And then um, just around the corner from all of this, there are some videos playing with, yeah, videos and animation and everything like that. So it's really, you're really getting kind of different, looks on the, the the perspective of the group um now uh, you know the group were there this morning um and they were just talking about their influences and everything like that and i think one of the big things that really did come out of it was was how music kind of influenced what they were doing and, um, you know, I, I, I think without the music, we might not have got, you know, the, the, the collective maybe. Or what we would have got would have been drastically different. So, we, we you know, we had that. And then they're also talking about this whole squatter scene and how people, you know, different people from around the world came to um, Berlin because there were all these just abandoned houses so there was no one trying to control it you could just move in and so having all these different people come you know, it, it gives a, a whole different range now of um, you know insight and creativity and vision and everything like that and I think you really do see that reflected in the work you know just these the, just the clothing that they're work, wearing and making is, is like completely different to the stuff that you would see in high streets or music videos and, and stuff like that from the time so you you have that that which is fascinating. Then you go upstairs, and so, like as mentioned, there is this um like sensory room, this kind of void, as it were, you know, um. It's the uh, the materia prima, and like it really is, you know, because what we, all you kind of see because you have to kind of squat down to go through the door, so you just see a bit of light, and so you know, like I crouched down and I, I had you know a bit of limbo. I I got up into the room, and at first I'm just like, like. What is it? And you're standing there in this kind of space that is this bright white. And 
you 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 just become really disorientated. You're 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 just really disorientated. There's nothing to really focus on. It's really bright, and you know you you're just not. I think it really just affects you. It it's the weirdest thing. I think you have to kind of experience it because you know you, you I think thinking to yourself oh just just stepping into a white room what's that you know and you may scoff but actually doing it actually being there is something else it's it's the oddest sensation you know so there's that then you go into the room opposite that and there is this kind of um it's like a uh a bric-a-brac a um like a, a lost and found kandeski you know it, it it's just this um what do you call it a uh, hmm Man, I, I but I I think you know when I say Kandeski, it's like hanging a mobile. Yes, it's like a mobile hanging from the ceiling. So this fabric and kind of uh, just weird objects, and all creating this weird kind of collage. So you have that taking center stage of the room, and then around the walls are these photographs. And the photographs are, like, um, I think it's mainly a lot of the female members of the collective. And they're together in, like, these different kind of poses. Which utilize the human body to create these different shapes and imagery that is really fascinating like the, so there's one where they all have their like head on the ground and the hair is intermingled and you can see an ear but the way it's done like at first I was just like what like hold on what is that like are they ears? How was that done? How? What? And you're just looking at it transfixed. And, and you know what I mean? So that being the first, you can imagine the crazy, like, just this imagery that they've created with their bodies. So it's fascinating just seeing these different images around the place. And I think what the one thing up on the upper floor that really, really transfixed me. So we have this big um, vase. And on top of the vase is, um, you, you, we have this um, kind of glass thing. And you look at it, and there's this hologram. 
this hologram of the collective dancing. And um, so one of the things was, uh, when they were talking about it in that, you know, when we had a chance to listen to them, so they they had this um this piece that they wanted to do but they realized they've spent a lot of money on creating different aspects of the shoe but they they had no costumes and so now they have no money for costumes so they they made costumes i think it was for like 10 people so they made these costumes out of newspaper. But it was out of newspapers that had um, articles around Brexit. So these headlines um, were all over the clothing about Brexit. And so that's what they explained. That they they were they had to turn all of this around in a, a short number of hours before the shoot. Which you can just imagine how hectic that must have been in itself. And so, yeah, so then you see this hologram of the dance that they created these things for. And it is fascinating. But just seeing it projected there as a hologram on top of this vase is it's incredible. It's amazing. Like, I just wish that, 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 you know, that the image was bigger to really be able to appreciate it. But, yeah, it's fascinating. And um, that's, what you, that's what we have here. Like, everything that the Honeysuckle Company kind of are presenting within this exhibition, it's all different. You know, like, there's, there's nothing... That you you know you can look at and go, eh, it's very repetitive, you know, because everything is so different and so um, it's odd, but odd in a good way, you know, odd in a way that makes you think, makes you double take, makes you just wonder, you know. Like, wonder and think about the imagery that we're looking at and how that is affecting us in that moment. So, I would definitely recommend going to check it out. So, um, yeah, the exhibition, it's running from today. So, 2nd of October until the 12th of January. 2020 which isn't bad right not bad at all so people if you're in the area go check it out if you're not in the area hey make a little trip you know the um institute of contemporary art is very close to charing cross just round the corner from trafalgar square so you know it's not difficult to find and remember this is the first ever survey of the honeysuckle company's work so i i do feel that omnibus is 
a must-see. So go check it out. Um, I will put links in the episode information. So, uh, yeah, you can um, follow the links to the ICI website and um, book your tickets there or just turn up. But, yeah, definitely worth a look, people. Definitely worth a look. Well, god damn it. Saturday was another fun UFC event. It was UFC Fight Night 160. Um, Jack Hermanson against Gerard Cannonier. It was the Joker against the Killer Gorilla. And yeah, we had we had a fun night. There was hmm. And at least one controversial um, decision. At least one. But, you know, stuff got rectified. It was all good. But, yeah, there, there were some big wins. There were some big wins and there were some real good performances. But, um, oh, and like I have to say, this was... Um, UFC's first trip to Denmark, you know, it was at the um, Royal Arena in Copenhagen, Um, and yeah, so the main card was the big draw, Jack the Joker Manson against Gerard the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer, and um, Manson had been on a tear of late. You know what I mean? Just running through people and stopping people. I like stopping them in ways that, uh, yeah, like people weren't suspecting, you know? So, um, there was that and Candonier, yo, he, he, you know, he's come off, a, he came off a really good performance against um, Silver. So, um, yeah, I think going into this fight, though, I feel that people had Hermanson as the winner. And I think Hermanson understood that. So he came out, man, he came out fast. And, um, you know, he, he was looking, really looking to put pressure on Cannoneer. Yo, so he got a couple of good takedowns early. I mean, like, one was a suplex, although wasn't the best of suplexes. Cannon, like, Cannoneer is meant to come down kind of on, on his back, the back of his head, that kind of thing. But Manson kind of came down first on his head. And Kamenir didn't really, didn't have the impact that you'd probably want from a suplex. But, you know, it's still not fun being suplexed, right? Um, so, yeah, he, he got Kamenir down. And at one point, he did get his back. Got his back and was threatening for a rear naked choke. Which, you know, I, I, I think... Everyone was like, oh, it's done. 
because like Kandanir, he's shown really good striking, really good kickboxing, but I don't think we've really seen him as a a, a threat on the ground with jujitsu. Um, but you know, Kandanir uh, was able to get to his feet, and um. When once he got to the feet, it, it, it things started to change. But this is the thing that we've noticed with Candidate. Like he 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 seems to get into a fight later. So um yeah, he was he was able to um land some real good combinations on um Hanansen. You know, he yeah, he landed some real good kicks. Um yeah, and some good jabs. So that was the end of the first round. Now, second round started and Hermanson was um he was looking to come out fast again. And so he went for a takedown. And that is when it all changed. This cannoneer landed a ferocious uppercut. And, yeah, Hanantun was hurt. He was, he, like, staggering back. Cannoneer kind of just pushed him, manhandled him to the ground. And once he was on the ground, God damn it, he... He landed just vicious ground and pound. Hammer fists, elbows, punches. He was relentless. And, um, yeah, there was nothing left but for the referee to jump in and stop it. So, the Joker's rise was haunted. Haunted. Not haunted, halted, and um, yeah, in stepped the killer gorilla. Oh man, it was a tremendous performance. But people, there were some other great performances on the card, and if you want to hear about them, tune in to um today's episode of Chin Check, and you can get it all. What what? Do that, people. Do that. And um, now let's get to um, let's get to some TV reviewage, right? Yo, people, what the hell? So, I yeah had to go back, had to go back to the city, and that's the Broad City, bitches. Yes, season two is now done and. God damn it, yo, that was some funny ass shit, so, um, you know what I mean, all the favourites are back in this hilarious sitcom, um, so the breakdown is this, want new dance parties, big guests like Ilana's mum and Seth Rogen, Pervy kittens, shrimp in the water supply. Okay, 
maybe not the last one, but it's all there and more in the second seriously hot and humid season of the claimed comedy series, Broad City. And um, yeah, like all the favourites are there, people. So we've got, um, you know, Abby Jacobson. Ilana Glazer, um, and then Hannibal Barris is back as Lincoln, um, we've got Paul W. Downs as Abby's boss, Trey, John Gerberlings as Beavers, Abby's annoying housemate, Atoro Castro as Jamie, Ilana's housemate, um, and Stephen Schneider as Jeremy Santos, Abby's neighbour, Abby's neighbour, who she fancies, and god damn it, is just, ah, oh, there's a great episode with him in this series, yo, like, you know what I mean, season one, I laugh so damn hard, you know, and you always wonder, can that shit be maintained? Do you know what I mean? Can it be maintained and can it be topped? That's what you always think. And, yeah, I, I, I laugh just as hard, if not la- harder. Do you know what I mean? If not harder. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think probably enjoyed this season even more. It it's just awesome. Ten episodes. They're like twenty-two minutes. Perfect length. Perfect length. Like ah, oh, god damn it. First episode. You've got Ilana out with Lincoln and his friends. And then she realizes they're out for his birthday that she'd forgotten about. So you're just like Boom, out the gate, jokes. Then Abby's hooking up with Steph Rogan, male Stacy. <laughs> and he's cooking a dinner, but it's in a heat wave and it ain't pretty. So it becomes this mission to get aircon. And um, Abby threatened that she might be a rapist. Um, Yeah, which is just jokes And then she does it Another thing that kind of puts her in like You know, sex pest territory It's just a funny ass episode, man You know what I mean? And um (laughs) Alright, so There's an episode That Oh my god, it's so funny And it deals with pegging. Oh my god. It is just straight up hilarious. And it kind of just deals with... It kind of... Man, I'm saying like... You do get some of the jokes that you would think, right? But then it kind of goes in a slightly different way to what you might have expected. And it's just frigging... Awesome, but I have to say, man, if you're having sex with someone, 
and someone says change positions like let, all right let's flip if you're having missionary sex with someone and someone says change positions you might need to be a bit more precise in what you're looking for because Abby didn't expect to get what she got oh jeez oh man it's it's just so damn funny and yo you you think that might be like the the Funniest shit in that episode. No. Because Alana's out with her mum. And there's a whole bag situation. That is. <laughs> it's just awesome. It's just an awesome episode man. You know what I mean. Then. Man. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. Boom. I'm getting all new vocab from this show. I mean, so I'll be down with the kids in no time, son. Ah, this was just, yeah, it was it was funny, man. Just another amusing episode. Like, in episode six was called The Matrix, and the way it starts is just hilarious. And yo, that shit. Like, I remember, like, I knew, I knew this couple. And I remember once that they were having a conversation with each other on Facebook. I then found out they were in the same fucking room together. They were in the same fucking room together. You know what I mean? It's just like, but they were having a full-on conversation on Facebook. It's just insane, right? And, um, yeah, so this episode, it starts off in that vein. But also, awesomeness from that episode, Dog Wedding. And another guest spot from Janine Jalofalo, which was... She's great in this, man. It's always good to see... You know what I mean? Just get a little Jalofalo in your life. And there is a hilarious little just... Nod to um one of my favourite films of her, Truth About Cats and Dogs. Love that film, right? And you get a little nod to it, which is just genius. Genius in the writing, man. But it's just, ah, it's just a great episode. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like, ah, there's not much to, there's nothing really to hate. Like, everything is just... Funny, like when Abby finds out a little something, something about her boss, and then tries a hand at blackmail, which all goes a little wrong. But you know what? The thing that I really am just loving about this show is it's really kind of dealing with shit that you kind of. You know, you can get into these shenanigans. You know what I mean? You you can like get into this crazy shit with people. And it's just like you watch other shows and they always pull back. 
Do you know what I mean? They never go all the way with something. And this just goes, you know what? Fuck it. This is how it really is. And so it's just the best. It's the fucking best. Episode 9. Answer the question for me, right? Because I was doing a little... I, you know, I was doing a little looking around. You know what I mean? Because you need to try and find, like, the... um. The season, like, overview and all of that shit. And in it, so I was floating and it said when Abby first met Alana, she thought she was Ali Shawcat from Arrested Development. And I was a bit like, I think she was in Arrested Development. I can't remember a girl with hair, frizzy hair like that in Arrested Development, now what song, I wonder, maybe she just guessed it on a song, um, then I realised it meant Arrested Development, the TV series, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense, but, so, when I started, you know, season one, I was a bit like, yo, I know Alana from somewhere, where do I know Alana from, and, that's it. I thought she was Ali Shawcat because I remember seeing Ali Shawcat London Film Festival last year. She was in an incredible film called Blaze and she was phenomenal. Phenomenal. And um yeah, she shows up in episode 9 season 2 and it is everything. It is the best. Oh my god, people. You need to see this episode. Because it really just answers. Ah, oh, it's just hilarious. It's just hilarious. And especially at the end. It's a bit like. Oh, of course it makes sense. I masturbate in the mirror. And you're just like, oh shit. Oh man. Ah. Oh. In stitches, there's like there's some cloakroom craziness. Ah, man, it's just it's an awesome episode. I love it, might have been my favorite from oh, I don't know. It's like this, and um, god damn it, man. I think I think my fate it, it could be episode four, which is knockoffs, which is the pegging episode, or episode nine, which is coat check, because it's got Ali Shawcroft, and it's just fucking incredible, I think they are my favourite episodes of this season, it's just, it's just genius man, the writing on this show, it's it's fantastic, it's fantastic writing, um, and episode 10, man, another great one, and, like, I don't know if this is gonna be a thing going forward, but episode 10 ends on a birthday, just like episode 10 of season 1, hey, different shorty's birthday, though, but, just funny, man, funny, Great way to end things off, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, of course, I'm looking forward to friggin' season three, hoping 
it just maintains the awesomeness. Because I goddamn can't wait, man. Loving this shit for sure. So, people, definitely make sure you check it out, right? Um, It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. I'm watching it on Now TV. Because I don't have that Amazon Prime money. You crazy? But, yeah, it's hilarious. Check it out. Okay, so, I've been in, um, you know, two minds about hitting Black Powder War, which is book three in Naomi Novak's Temeraire series. Uh, But, you know, the second book, although I didn't think it was as good as the first, it was still okay. So I figured, all right, let me do this book sooner rather than later. So then I, you know what I mean? I know whether to dump the whole series or carry on. So yeah, this week I did Black Powder War, which is a book free in Naomi Novak's Temeraire series, and it's read by Simon Vance. So, this is what it says on Audible. Naomi Novak's stunning series of novels follows the global adventures of Captain William Lawrence and his fighting dragon Temeraire. As they are thrown together to fight for Britain during the turbulent time of the Napoleonic Wars. British flyer Will Lawrence and his extraordinary celestial dragon Temeraire gratefully anticipate their voyage home from China. But before they set sail they are waylaid by urgent new orders. The British government having purchased three valuable dragon eggs from the Ottoman Empire one of a rare fire-breathing Kazalik dragon, one of the most deadly breeds in existence, now requires Lawrence and Temeraire to make a more perilous overland journey, instead stopping off in Istanbul to collect and escort the precious cargo back to England. And time is of the essence, if the eggs are to hatch upon British shores. A cross-continental expedition is a daunting prospect, fraught with countless dangers. The small party must be prepared to travel the treacherous Silk Road, navigating frigid mountain passes and crossing sterile deserts to evade feral dragon attacks and Napoleon's aggressive infantry. Barely surviving the poisonous intrigue of the Ottoman court, the small British party's journey home is delayed once more. The Prussians muster their forces before them, barring their way and Lawrence and Temeraire became swept up in the battle against Bonaparte, trapped by politics as they learn that the British had promised to send their allies aid, but help is months overdue. The crew will also face unexpected menace from a Machiavellian herald precedes them, spreading political poison in her wake. Lien, the white celestial dragon, absconded from the Chinese imperial court shortly after the humiliating death of her beloved princely companion. 
fervently believing Temeraire to be the architect of her anguish. She has vowed to ally herself with his greatest enemy in order to exact a full and painful revenge upon everything and everyone the Black Dragon holds dear. Now, I've... Ah, so I think, yeah, I I think I'm done. I think I am done with this series. Ah, look, the books, this book, it's not the worst book I've read. But my, my issue are that it, it just seems that these situations are just thrown in you know their path and you, you you can see a way out but for some reason that way isn't taken and so they decide to do this and then you know a few days later they regret it but it's too late now and blah blah blah, blah. you know it, it just seems to happen over and over and over again you know and I think it, that just becomes a bit tiresome, you know, I think the book itself is, what, it's about ten and a half hours, and you kind of feel that it could have been half the length, half the length, because a lot of it just isn't really needed, like there's all this stuff in the Ottoman court, with all the younger members of the crew getting into hijinks that, you know, could cause real, you know, danger to everyone now, and you're just like, really, really, because it's just like, you know, they, like, they would know that to do it even in their own country, that, that's bad trouble, so to do it on foreign land, come on now, you know, it, it, there's just a bit of, just, stupidness to it all, so, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just scratching my head a lot, just, like, why, why, then you've still got this ongoing situation with Temeraire talking about, like, dragon's rights, and you've got Will going, oh, no, they can't do that, they can't do that, but then it's like, oh, but Will comes from a family who are against slavery, and it's just like, well, if you're against slavery, you should be able to understand you know, what Temeraire is talking about, but there's this like, oh no, it's completely different, and you're just like, I'm just, I'm just kind of tired of it all, you know, just tired of it all, and because, you know, you just think, alright, if the British aren't going to look after their dragons, dragons would just fly off, you know what I mean, this is the end of the story, they could just fly off, so it's not really the uh, this crazy situation, you know. But uh, yeah, these be I think like everything is made kind of tried to be made more complex when it really isn't. 
you know so look you could go all right so the re you know think of a logical reason why you know all the dragons won't just fly off or or why this won't happen but instead you've got like just this long diatribes that make no sense and you just don't really care about you know and then like you have other situations of like baby dragons being born and of course they're making a lot of noise in a situation where everything needs to be quiet and it's just like all right so you only hatched them at this point so you could try and make this situation all a bit more dangerous a bit more daunting it's like it didn't have to happen like and you didn't have to have it happen in this way so it's just trying to throw these things up to make everything a bit problematic and it's just yeah you know a lot of dust machina and it's just boring it gets boring I'm just a bit tired of it all. So yeah, it's not a terrible book, but it's just I didn't really enjoy the pacing. I didn't really enjoy um the structure and the way you have these things thrown up into the story. You know what I mean? So um yeah, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. But, you know, I would say, look, if you really enjoyed the first two books, then I'm sure you're like this. So you'll probably want to continue. And Audible has all nine books in the series. So you're in luck, people. But, yep, I am tapping out. But if you want to do it, hey, all power to you. And, um, yeah, so it's Naomi Novak's Temeraire series. And this was Black Powder War. Okay, people. So, we're drawing to the end of another episode. So, we're just going to do that TV news before we bounce. Okay, so Ellen DeGeneres has just signed a, a nice deal with HBO Max. Um... She's got a, a few shows going to be um, hitting and getting some renews going. So, um, yeah, so she's got a, a design show, Ellen's Home Design Challenge. So that's got a um, an order. A, you know, she's got um, First Dates Hotel and a animated series called little ellen so all of those are going to series and she's also working on a documentary series called finding einstein so um yeah ellen's um ellen's not doing too bad another thing that looks to be coming to hbo max is a um a TV adaptation of the comic book series DMZ, which uh, so it came out by Brian Wood on v- the um, Vertigo imprint at 
DC. And the comic deals with a second American Civil War in the near future as the remains of the federal government and the secessionist free state armies hold an uneasy detente. Um, yeah, like it, it's a really good comic book series. And um, it's going to be... Um, it, it, yeah, it, it's been developed by Ava DuVernay. So um, this is a second comic book um, adaptation. She's working on a new Gods film for Warner Brothers Pictures. So uh, yeah, this time she's gone into the TV world. Um, so the showrunner and executive producer is going to be Roberto Patino, um, and he is also writing the pilot script with DuVernay's Array Filmworks. So yeah, it, it, it's believed filming will start early next year. Uh, more streaming news, uh, this time we're going over to Netflix so the um the series Dear White People has been renewed for a fourth season, which will also be its final. Um, Justin Simeon is going to continue as showrunner, and it's going to be um a ten episode run. So yeah, all fans of the previous seasons, that's pretty good news, and um. In expected news, I would say, Netflix have also handed out a, um, a season renewal for uh, Stranger Things. Now, I don't think that's any surprise. Um, so, yeah, Stranger Things is getting a fourth season. And um, also... The, uh, the creators, Matt and Ross Duffer, have signed a, um, a really big deal to, um, to, to make more TV shows and films at Netflix. They put out a statement. Um, we are absolutely thrilled to continue our relationship with Netflix. Ted Sarandos, Cinti Honland, Brian Wright and Matt Fernal took a huge chance on us and our show and forever changed our lives. From our first pitch meeting to the release of Stranger Things 3, the entire team at Netflix has been nothing short of sensational, providing us with the kind of support, guidance and creative freedom we always dreamed about. We can't wait to tell many more stories together, beginning of course with a return to Hawkins um, yeah no plan when filming will commence but I suspect it will probably be sometime next year um, more TV news so um, with Disney Plus we know we're getting a few Marvel TV shows the thing is, those TV shows are all going to be made by Marvel Studios, which enables them to um, 
connect with the movies, you know, which I think all fans are, are really looking forward to. The only problem with that is what is left for Jeff Loeb's Marvel TV. Now, back in the day, Marvel TV, you know, they made all the Netflix shows. They did, um, like, Cloak and Dagger, Runaways. Um, they, they were meant to be behind the shows coming to Hulu, the new shows coming to Hulu. One of which has, word has just come that it's been cancelled, that being Ghost Rider. Um... Agent of Shields ends next season, so next year with its final season. Um, Legion, that's um, coming to a close. The Gifted got cancelled. New Warriors, that looks to have been cancelled as well. So there's yeah, there's not really much left for um, Marvel TV. Really, until word about what's happening with Cloak and Dagger and Runaways comes out, but um, yeah, and there is meant to be a Hellstrom, a Hellstrom TV show, and a couple of other shows at Hulu, but I don't know who who knows what's happening with them after the fact. Ghost Rider got cancelled, so yeah, it's interesting times. Whether um. You know, Marvel TV will just get merged into Marvel Studios, which probably would be a better thing anyway, because it's separate from the comic division. So, you know, Ike Permenter can't control it like he does right now. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a case of waiting and see when it comes to comes to that now finally moving on to disney plus um we had word a little while back that we are getting an obi-wan kenobi tv show um you know and word is so the show is meant to take place eight years after the events of revenge of the sith with Obi-Wan delivered, um, you know, he, where he delivered the infant Luke Skywalker to his Tatooine homestead. So, yeah, like Ian, Ewan, Mc, uh, Ewan McGregor is reprising his role. And, um, yeah, like, so, I don't know. No one really knows what's happening. But Deborah Chow has been hired to helm the TV show. Um, she's worked on big shows in the past. Better Call Saul, The Man in a High Castle, American Gods. And she's been working on The Mandalorian. So, you know, all tight with the studio. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy put out a statement. We really wanted to select a director who is able to explore both the quiet determination and rich mystique of Obi-Wan in a way that folds seamlessly into the Star Wars saga. 
Based on a phenomenal work developing our characters in The Mandalorian, I am absolutely confident Deborah is the right director to tell this story. So, um, yeah. Like, no word really how long this show is going to be. Like, how many episodes or when it's going to start filming. But I think more will definitely start to come now they have a director. But, people, that is us for another week. Hey, we'll check you um, next Wednesday, people. All right, peace.